This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. It's been four years since the Netflix anthology series Black Mirror made new episodes of terrifying speculative fiction. And in that time, the real world has made Black Mirror-style tales of dangerous technology seem even more terrifying and far less speculative. Five new episodes dive into questions of identity, celebrity, apocalyptic demons, the true crime explosion, and the dangers of big, intrusive, content-packed streaming networks. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about Black Mirror on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Joining Glenn and me today is Ronald Young Jr. He is the host of the film and television review podcast, Leaving the Theater. Hi, Ronald. Hello, Linda. And also here is writer, comedian, and co-host of the Bad Romance podcast, Jordan Searles. Welcome back, Jordan. Nice to be back. Black Mirror launched in 2011, and it's made sets of episodes, what I would call sporadically, as Clueless would say since then, mostly about tech topics like surveillance, manipulation of bodies and minds, altered realities, and the dangers of social networks. It's always had impressive lineups of guest stars. This season is no different. You'll see Aaron Paul, Zazie Bates, Salma Hayek, Pinot, Josh Hartnett, and Kate Mara, not to mention a lot of less famous but very impressive actors. All five installments were written or co-written by the series creator Charlie Brooker, and they once again touch on technology, society, and in two cases, a streaming service called Streamberry, which very intentionally shares a look and style that specifically mimics Netflix. Let's see what's on Streamberry. Wow, they got the da-dum and everything. (laughs) We'll tell you a bit more about individual episodes as they come up, but I want to jump right into some general thoughts. Ronald, how did you like this run of episodes as a kind of chapter in the Black Mirror saga? 
overall, this was probably not my favorite chapter, but I liked it. And as a you know deep cut Black Mirror fan, I feel like there's been episodes that I've returned to over and over again. Of these five episodes, I think there's only about two that I think I'll rewatch. The others, they were fine. They were good. They were probably you know better television than other television I've been watching. But in terms of kind of the bar that Black Mirror set, I don't know if it it, it set it as high as it normally does this season. But it was still good, and it still made me talk about it with friends. It just wasn't my favorite. Yeah, I'm going to come back to you about what the ones are that you might rewatch. But first, I want to go over and ask you, Jordan. how about you? What's your general feeling about uh, season six, Black Mirror? My general feeling is that it's very sentimental in a way that I find interesting, but I'm not really sure how the sentiment translates from episode to episode. There are probably two that I really enjoy, and then the rest, I can see what Brooker is doing, but I'm not sure if I'm on board. Yeah. Okay. Glenn, how about you? Well, I determined what it takes for me to like a Black Mirror episode. It either needs to be funny, have lots of humor, or needs to have like a dose of humanism, a dose of hope. I'd prefer both, but I'll take either. So it can be as dark as scathing and nihilistic as it wants to be. If it's funny, I like it. If it can be bleak and sad, if there's a tiny bit of hope of human connection in it, and I'll like it. It's when I get neither, as I do in episode three here, which yes. is called Beyond the Sea, <laughs> which stars yes. Aaron Paul and Josh Hartnett as two astronauts who are participating in this kind of weird project where they're able to both be in space and at home at the same time. After something really nasty happens on Earth, both men wind up connected to Paul's wife, played by Kate Mara, and a very bleak story ensues about loneliness and families. It was so unrelentingly humorless and long that I just started picking it apart. Like, not to fault the performances, but that's when you start, because it's very long, you start poking away at the premise and the second-guessing the characters and looking harder at the dialogue. And this is the thing. Like, you watch Black Mirror differently than you watch other shows because you're always trying to second-guess. You're always trying to figure out what the hook is, right? And if you're me, you pause it and you turn to your beleaguered husband and you say, this is what's going to happen. And (laughs) most of the time you're right. And the time that you're not, I mean, I thought this was a big improvement over season five because we're stepping away from the narrative strictures of dystopian science fiction technology, technology bad. Now we're getting into, you know, more media stuff, more how we package people's lives for mass consumption. So after season five, I would have told you this had run its course, but this feels like fresh blood to me. Beyond the Sea was my favorite episode. Oh, no. Deadly. No. First, it's directed by John Crowley, who made um, Brooklyn in 2015, which is a very good movie. And I was really struck by how well-directed it was, how well-structured it was. I actually kind of felt like it could have been a movie all in itself. It really felt like it was doing something interesting with sci-fi. And I really thought that it was fascinating the way that the family dynamics interlocked. Josh Hartnett's performance, Aaron Paul's performance, Kate Mara. Like, it was a really depressing bit of television but I felt like it really got into the way that technology can bring us together and also alienate us. And I loved the sadness of it. I don't disagree with anything you said. I think the acting was great. As it started and moved on, I'm like, this is Black Mirror. This is very, like, you're telling me a story and you feel the very, something very unsettling begin to start. I think the problem is, and I think you addressed it by saying maybe it would have been a better movie because... I think they did not build out Sky Command or whatever NASA would have been at that time because I think they needed something to get them where they were going 
that was not what ended up getting them where they were going. Because when I watched it and it gets to its point, I said, oh, that's dumb what just happened. Not what (laughs) happened, but how it happened, to be clear. Because getting to that destination doesn't bother me. But like when he got there, I'm like, no, no. You need like at least one to two other things to have happened for that to have happened. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And when it happens like that, it just made me confused. Yeah, I mean, there's a character played by Rory Culkin in it and it's very hard to like figure out what his his deal (laughs) is because I believe it takes place in an alternate 1969. So I guess it was a kind of like Manson thing going on, but it was very unclear what that um, whole cult ethos was. And I do think that if you're going to give us a cult, you should probably <laughs> tell us more about the cults. Yeah, and why didn't they show up again? Yeah. They were gone. They came yeah. and they left. <laughs> My problem with it was exactly the structure. The structure, once you kind of get what's happening, then you get where we're going. And I might not have arrived at precisely what was going to happen because I don't think it was sufficiently set up. But I knew something was going to happen. I knew the nature of it. I knew the beats of this story from the first 15 minutes, which is not – the structure is so rigid and so predictable – And it was so flat and humorless. And the performances were amazing. But, like, the structure kind of imposed this flatness that I I just didn't dig. Huh. That's that's interesting. I I don't know if I would call it predictable, but I do think that... um, I do believe that there is something missing. But that's kind of how I feel about a lot of the episodes, though. Like, there's just, like, a little something missing. I think that maybe the most complete one is Locke Henry. Yes. Yes. So Locke Henry follows this young couple, their documentary filmmakers played by Samuel Blenken and Myhala Harold, who is, by the way, the star of the HBO show Industry. They are visiting uh, his mother in Scotland when they start to investigate this legendary murderer from this small town. This episode has less to do with tech than most Black Mirrors. It's more of a straight-up mystery. It sort of touches a little bit on the true crime phenomenon. Jordan, tell me more about your feelings about Locke Henry. This is a very emotional season. Like, I really feel like Charlie Brooker, he has an axe to grind with each episode. And for Locke Henry, obviously, that axe is true crime. I, I've been obsessed with this show called Deadly Women. And you have! I have! <laughs> and I won't spoil it, but the murders in it and kind of like the characters and like what they're invoking is like very famous murders that happened in the UK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's really fascinating to me because, you know, one of the filmmakers is this Black woman and I had so much trouble with the fact that she would knowingly walk into this i was just yes. like this girl is like she's really built different because like i don't know I, would, yep. I wouldn't have gone into that but you know instead of just being like true crime bad i think it really like digs into how exploitative it is especially considering you know how it basically re-traumatizes everybody just by virtue of just talking about it, bringing it up, and the whole idea that we're going to get an award for this. This is going to be on streaming. You know, the whole... uh cynicalness of the endeavor. Yeah, and I think this is one of two, maybe three, that are more horror-adjacent episodes this season. And so it brings in, kind of, Jordan, what you were talking about, this kind of, um, there's a thread of horrors, kind of moralistic or normative vibe here. There's some finger-wagging to Locke Henry, where the filmmaker Pia doesn't share her boyfriend's moral qualms to exploit this tragedy, and so she has to suffer for it. Right. I think that's what I picked up on here. I I still enjoyed the episode, but I felt like we were falling into 
pretty predictable horror tropes. What this episode did for me, it just kind of reminded me that Black Mirror is just kind of evolving. Mm -hmm. And this was a story that I enjoyed. as Just as an episode, the story, I, I really enjoyed it. But it was so far from a commentary on technology, which I've just gotten used to, like, bleak, dystopian future. This wasn't that. But it also just made me realize that Black Mirror can be very good about telling stories, questioning the things that we value. And if that's what they're going to do more of in the future, then I think Black Mirror has, like, hundreds of seasons to go yeah. uh, in that regard. Yeah, I felt like this one was maybe a little bit less a tech story and more a media story, which is also true yeah. of a couple of other stories they've done here and some stories they've done in the past. Jordan liked Beyond the Sea. Jordan liked Locke Henry. Ronald, I want to go back to what the two were that you liked. I liked Joan is Awful. Yep. Yes. And I think probably people who have seen like clips and bits of this season, Joan is Awful is maybe the one that Netflix has kind of foregrounded the most, I would say. Yeah, it's about... Yeah. This woman named Joan, played by Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek, who discovers one day that her her favorite streaming service, Streamberry, the one that we already heard going dunung, has a show that appears to be stealing her life on a day to day basis. She's played on that show by Salma Hayek Pinot, who appears as a version of herself and also as the TV Joan. It gets very multi-layered. It's more comedy-based, I would say. Ronald, tell me what you liked about Jonah's Awful. It's funny because when it started, I was probably about 20 minutes into that episode and I was like, well, Black Mirror has jumped the shark. It has jumped the shark. This is absolutely ridiculous. And then it, it started doing this very specific Black Mirror twist. And as it started to twist, I said, oh, and by the time we got to the very end, it lands it very well. I just enjoyed the idea of one, them kind of lampooning themselves. I'm probably one of the few people that enjoyed Bandersnatch, which is the interactive episodes of Black Mirror. I really like when it starts questioning my own reality as I'm sitting in the chair. I really like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought that this episode did a lot of that. But when it got to the end, it felt very much like the air quotes happy ending that you get in Nosedive, where yep. you know they're kind of just yelling swear words back and forth at each other, but they're finally free of whatever oppressive system was, was holding them down, arguably like subjugated to a new oppressive system. But still, the one that was like probably worse is now off their necks. So I really enjoyed kind of the whole flow of that episode. I mean, the jokes were solid. The performances were great. The winks were pretty much start to finish. Yeah. I really dug this episode. And, you know, I, I love this season kind of the, on the bookends, like the, the first episode and the final episode, Demon 79, were my two favorites. I think that's fair. That's me too. I, but I also liked Locke Henry. So, but you're right. Those two are my favorites by far. Your two are the, the two on the end, uh, this one. And yeah, then yeah, Demon yeah. 79, which we have not talked about yet. Demon 79 is uh, set in 1979 in Northern England, and it's about a young woman who begins receiving visits from the titular demon who tells her these very scary things about what's coming in the future and the things that she can or must do to prevent it. And Jenna Vasan, who was also in We Are Lady Parts, plays the woman, and Papa Esiadu plays a very Woo. particular, yes, woohoo indeed, plays a very particular version of her demon. I had very mixed feelings about Demon 79. I couldn't tell whether I was really like locking into this story. Glenn, what did you like about Demon 79? Uh, again, jokes, jokes, jokes. I thought this piece had a very funny attitude. It had, it was kind of getting its Neil Gaiman on. I liked the kind of 
not particularly subtle anti-fascist uh, thread that was through it, anti-prejudice, uh, anti-racism thread that was in it. I thought for a while that they weren't going to give her agency, and then they suddenly did. Um, so, yeah, I just had a ball with this. I really like this tone. I think for me, what I always like about Black Mirror is when it acknowledges that all of this is a shared universe. And I think there's flashes in this episode about things that come and why they are to come. And it kind of reminds me of that show on HBO <laughs> called Years and Years. Incredibly bleak. Oh, yeah. It's very dark, but it's like it, it's basically this British family that this kind of Trump-like figure gets elected as prime minister and Britain gets just worse and worse as technology continues to evolve. I kind of like sense that in this, like the whole idea. And then I think during that election kind of cycle in this episode, I realized that, oh, Demon 79, that's what they mean. Like I, I didn't understand what the title meant until I had kind of that point. I enjoyed it. And it kind of like still points to this future of Black Mirror where they're kind of like playing in this large sandbox and saying all of these things are kind of connected and there's a larger theme at at hand. I really like that. Everything that y'all said is true about it, I guess. I just felt like it was maybe a little too obvious. I don't know. It's weird because it's it's all talking about, you know, things that I agree with, you know, anti-fascism, anti-racism. Well, I wanted to point out that Demon 79 has a co-writer. It's the only episode in the season that has a co-writer, which I think is really interesting and adds like a different layer to it. It almost now that I now that I notice it, it does change my thought on it a little bit, but I still I don't know. I still wanted more from that episode, but I, I like what they're trying to do. Yeah. I, I felt the same way. You know, I got to the end of this episode and I was like, okay. Well, I mean, like if you mm-hmm. sat down at the very <laughs> beginning of this episode and you were like, well, here's like the obvious ways this would go, I feel like that ending is one of them. And that's Mm -hmm. not a common Black Mirror thing for me in my favorite Black Mirror episodes. I really like the ones where I wind up being like, oh, that is not what I thought was going to happen. Now, that is not always a good thing, which brings us to the only one of these episodes we have not talked about, (laughs) which is also the shortest, which I, I was prepared to be enthusiastic about because sometimes, you know, I like for anthologies to remember that everything does not have to be super long. But the one called Maisie Day is about a paparazzi photographer played by Zazie Bates, who is on the trail of this young, scandal-prone actress. She's in seclusion. Nobody really knows what's going on with her. This little kind of group of paparazzi photographers are all jostling for the opportunity to get rich, taking a picture of her. This one goes to some very weird places. It Again, it's not as much a tech story as it is a media story. I, I would argue it's mm-hmm. not a tech story really at all. It's very hard to talk about this without saying exactly where it's going. And it's true that I was surprised by where it was going. But, like, you want to be surprised and delighted, not just <laughs> yeah. surprised. I don't know. The whole time I was watching this episode, I was thinking about the South Park episode with Britney Spears. <laughs> Go on, say more. You know, Britney is being hounded by paparazzi. Ooh, it's a really depressing episode, but it kind of touches on this idea of, like, the way that the camera 
can be a tool for harm, literally. Zazie does struggle with, you know, what does this job mean? Like, does it mean that I'm a bad person and everything? Yeah, and it, I wanted it to be more about that. I wanted it to be more about that, too, and less yeah. the South Park episode. Yeah. <laughs> it does avoid the trap that Locke Henry fell into because it avoids having our main character, the one who is the one pushing for immorality. She has moral qualms about the kind of what she realizes is a kind of systemic misogyny that she's taking part in. And she abandons it, but then she comes back to it. And the people who really come to a bad end are her fellow paparazzi. And they come to a bad end, and I was pumping my fist. I I was satisfied by this ending. Seeing that she survives is satisfying. But had it been a morality tale about like what we're consuming and how Mm -hmm. we consume folks. And Black Mirror has touched on that in other episodes, the Miley Cyrus episode specifically Mm -hmm. last season. But Black Mirror has touched on that before, the idea of like consumption in that way. If there was a writer's room, which it doesn't seem like there is because they all seem to be written by Charlie Brooker, it just seems like somebody said something in that room. What if it were this? And nobody said, nah, that's a terrible (laughs) idea. <laughs> it's sort of true. He does sometimes yeah. seem like he needs a no person and maybe doesn't have one. Yeah. Because when that happens, I'm saying, I'm just watching, I'm like, this isn't Black Beer. This is something else entirely. Like, this is this is love, death, and robots now. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, but that's evolution. Is that evolution, though? That's like- growth. That's <laughs> we're getting away from technology is bad, which, by the way, is not the theme of the show, technology is bad. It's yeah. humanity is bad and technology makes us worse. That's the theme of the show. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't have a problem with this episode at all. I will say the one thing that gave me pause about the season as a whole, particularly because the first two episodes are Jonas Awful and Locke Henry, I was like, is this whole season going to be Netflix managing to both be upsetting as a corporation and then also monetize its own upsettingness in the content that it's making? And I had a real issue with that. There's a moment in Jonas Awful where they actually get into a conversation about how Netflix exploits talent. No, I'm going to sue Salma Hayek. Well, it's not really Salma Hayek. Yes, it is. No, technically, uh, the show deploys a digital likeness of Ms. Hayek. They don't film her. She licensed her image to them. And I was like, listen... We're in the middle of massive (laughs) labor actions in Hollywood related perhaps more than any other one single thing to Netflix not paying talent appropriately. I don't know that I'm prepared to have them put out content that like on the one hand you can be like, ooh, he doesn't care whose feet he steps on. And then it's like, but if they thought this was really stepping on their feet, they wouldn't be putting it up. Exactly. And I'm concerned about letting them kind of be like, Wink, wink. We get it. Elbow, elbow. (laughs) Aren't we stinkers? It's like, no, you're terrifying (laughs) often. You don't get to laugh at this joke. The entire (laughs) concept of Streamberry. Every single time I heard the word Streamberry, or as the the creator says, Streamberry, I got so angry. (laughs) Because it comes up in Lock Henry, too. These discussions of how, like, isn't it funny how Streamberry is making all its money on these horrible, exploitive documentaries about murder? And you just sit there going, yes, and it's you. And I'm not prepared (laughs) to praise your content that is going to live right alongside all the documentaries that they're talking about. It felt very cynical to me. Uh And it felt very, like, in a weird way, exonerative, almost like, well, you know, it's not that bad if we can all laugh about it, right? And it's like, Uh I'm not laughing 
about it. Like, that was my one thing. Like, I like Joan is Awful. If Joan is Awful were running somewhere else, I think I yeah. would have appreciated it more. But I don't know that I'm prepared for that story in this setting where, like, everybody's getting paid by Streamberry to make the thing about Stream. Mm-mm. I had qualms. <laughs> I think for me, what I always do with Black Mirror is I always like rank the season against the other seasons. You know which ones like you just return to over and over again. And I just know that this season was much better than season five. But I think that is the only season that season six is better than. It is not better than any of the other seasons, in my opinion, especially in terms of like episodes that I liked. If you just go by sheer numbers of the episodes I like, I think that kind of speaks the truth to me about like, what Black Mary is right now, but I still think that there's hope for it to like continue to be like still good and better than generally than other shows, I think, in, in most ways. Yeah. And I think by the end of season five, the whole dystopian technology thing, I kind of get what it's going. But I got a feeling throughout this season, like I got with San Junipero back in season three, which is like, oh, we can do this too. We can have yeah. a little bit of hope in humanity. This show has room enough for that. I mean, it was a very dark kind of hope in humanity, but it was still, it was a, a moat of light yeah. uh, amid what this uniform approach is. And the fact that they're diversifying the approach, yeah, that they're not going to be winners, but I like this flexibility. Yeah. Well, once you get a chance to check it out on Streamberry, I mean Netflix, we want to know what you think about the new season of Black Mirror. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Glenn Weldon, Jordane Searles, Ronald Young Jr., thank you so much for being here. This was absolutely delightful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for having me. We want to take a moment and thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, you want to show your support and you'd like to listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode is produced by Hafsa Fathima and Mike Katzef and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm the real Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. 